We come to Revelation chapter 5 and verses 1 to 14. And uh, the scroll is something that would be rolled up, okay, like this. And there were seals on it so that when the seals were popped open, there were seven of them, the scroll of human history would open up. So the scroll is about human history and the things that happen in all ages in the church. And don't miss the fact that the lion is also the lamb. And Jesus is a ferocious lion, and he's a gracious lamb. Those are both in here. Be encouraged about your prayers. Our prayers go up as, as incense. He doesn't forget any of them. People say, well, where's your incense and your worship? It's in our prayers. And notice the amen that the angels, that the four living creatures say, and the elders do as well. That's why we cherish the word amen. Let it, let it be so. Revelation 5 and verses 1 to 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And you can also say to that, Amen and Hallelujah. Congregation, the grass does withers and the wither and the flowers fade away. But the word of our God 
will stand forever. To which you say, hallelujah and thanks be to God. Well, the honor belongs to me to be in your midst and to offer to you the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, our prayer is that you would have ears to hear what Christ is saying, but also that I would pay close attention to God's promises to me and to all of God's people. Amen. So we're going to uh, join in prayer, and I won't read the whole text just now, but you'll hear the text again, Psalm 67, as I proclaim it to you. But let's briefly seek the Lord's blessing in our time. Our Father, we have recited and heard and sung what we ask that you would once again bring to our attention. And Lord, we plead with you that you would come and transform us all through the words of Psalm 67. We want to grow in our understanding of your work in your world. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord, and with your people I say, Amen. Amen. If you read newspapers, and some of us still do, or if you get your news through online reading, then you will be familiar with headlines. They're handy, aren't they? You can read a headline and learn what the article is about and then decide whether or not you want to read it. Jobs, gains, and wages show cooling signs. That's the front page of today's Wall Street Journal. You heard it first here, perhaps. You can look at the paper... And you can discover with a quick glance the subject of what might be a very important piece of writing. Biblical texts are like newspapers in some ways. They contain news, that's one thing. The difference is that the news in the Bible is always true. And if you take the whole Bible into account, and if you believe what the Bible says, you know that the news is always good. The Wall Street Journal does not and cannot make that a claim. But here's some of the good news. So I want you all to rejoice in these words. 1 Corinthians 15.3. I think you know these words. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then Romans 10:13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the good news that God has published and it's not meant only for New York. Surely it is meant for New York, but not only for New York, it is meant for the world. The Bible contains news that provides the only way for the peoples of the world to know God and to be right with God and to worship the God of heaven. You believe that? Amen. Amen. Now, 
Back to headlines. Sometimes biblical texts contain something that we might call a headline. A brief statement that delivers the main theme of the passage. Psalm 67 has such a statement. You might even call it a headline. But the headline is not at the head. It is actually in the middle. Because Psalm 67 is a particular kind of ancient writing that contains the theme at its center. And then the other sentences in the psalm are arranged in certain ways to support that theme. And if you look at Psalm 67 carefully, and I invite you to do that, you will see it right away. It's printed in your bulletin. You might also use your Bible. Let's have a look. The beginning... And the end of the psalm have the same subject. Did you notice that? Verses 1 and 2 is a prayer for God's blessing. Verses 6 and 7 is a statement of assurance that God's blessing has come. May God bless us, verses 1 and 2. God shall bless us, verses 6 and 7. Do you see it? And among the blessings that God will give is a harvest. A farming harvest in verse 6. And a harvest of spiritual Power in verse 2. And then as you work toward the center, you will see that verse 3 and verse 5 say the same thing. In fact, they say the same thing with the exact same words. And here they are. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the psalm proceeds from God's blessing to the very best response to the blessing that he gives, and that is praise. Yeah. And then finally, verse 4, here's the headline. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. God is worthy. He judges people perfectly, and he oversees the doings of all the nations the very nations he is calling to worship him. God is worthy of praise, and the praise that he receives from his people make worshipers glad. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? The central concern of God in this psalm is that the nations would see him, they would rejoice in him, and they would sing praise to him. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We could put it this way. I learned this today. May the nations never lose the wow. (laughs) I always learn something when I'm in the presence of your pastor. That's That's my lesson for today. Okay, I want us to proceed with the simple outline, and here it is. I've already given it to you in a way, but let me give it to you again. We'll begin with the blessings of God, verses 1 and 2, then again 6 and 7. And then the worship of God, verse 3, verse 5. And then the joy of the nations, which is verse 4. And then as a bonus thought um, that I think will interest all of us, it's tucked into verse 2. And I've given this a title, The Mission of the Church. And it's in one word that is found there. And I know you're curious. And I'm going to tell you later. 
Let's begin with the blessings of God. I'll read the words again to you. 1 and 2, then 6 and 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your name may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. If you give this even slight attention, you can generate a long list of ways in which God has blessed you. I know you can. Some of those blessings are material, and uh, some of them are more directly grounded in gospel truths. And uh, while all of God's blessings are similar because they come from grace, don't they? The the shining face of God's favor, if you want to put it in Psalm 67 terms. It's good to distinguish them a bit as we think about all the wonderful things that God has done for us. And I say that because all people in the world receive a measure of what we sometimes call common grace, right? It's the invitation to believe, but it's also normal blessings that we have because we are created in the image of God and loved by the God who made us, right? So the rain falls on the just and the unjust, uh, family, work, health, friendship, daily bread. These are not the unique possessions of believers. As a Christian, you have a very specific response to those gifts, but the gifts themselves also come to people who don't believe. May God be gracious to us and bless us. It includes all of God's displays of favor. Absolutely believe that it does. But mainly, it is God's redemptive gifts that I want us to have in view as we continue on. Let me ask you a question. Is there an Old Testament text that comes to your mind as you hear about God's blessings delivered to the nations of the earth? I'm going to tell you what comes to my mind, and it will soon come to yours, because I'm going to read it to you. This is Genesis 12, and God's promise to a man who was known as Abram at the time. Listen to the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Imagine receiving that promise from the God of heaven. I will be blessed. Those who bless me will be blessed. The whole world will be blessed through me. Abram heard the promise, and he believed the promise he heard. He later received further developments of this promise, was God compared the extent of his family to the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. What a wonderful promise. But you know what? God not only made the promise, he fulfilled the promise he made. Continues to do so, by the way. But that's what God does. He makes promises. And he keeps promises. He gave Jesus to the world, the son of Abraham and the son of God. That's how he is described in the Bible. 
And, and brothers and sisters of the haven, you belong to the families of the earth who have received the blessing promised to Abraham. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's how Paul put it. That's Galatians 3, uh, 29. And that blessing of knowing God through knowing Jesus extends throughout the globe to the nations. In fact, if you listen carefully to the sum, all nations. The blessings that come from God include the call to give praise to God, and that is what comes to us next from verses 3 and 5. It appears twice. I'll read it just once uh, at this point. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. When we say these words, and we sing these words, let the peoples praise you, we are confessing at least two things. That God is worthy to be worshipped, and that the world's peoples owe him the praise that he alone deserves. All peoples. There is no people group, and we can deduce no individual person, who is exempt from the duty of worshipping God. And when we sing Psalm 67, as we have already, we are acknowledging this and making it the desire of our hearts that the world would know and worship the true God. Amen. That all the people would see what you and I, by the grace of Jesus Christ, have come to see. The majesty of God. The love of God in Christ. The perfect justice of God. And the mercy of God. That the world would see that mercy and justice meet at the cross where Jesus loved us by satisfying God's wrath with his very blood. We have come to see that God will favor us forever. That he has welcomed us into his family, an eternal family, with a place in heaven prepared for us by the Lord Jesus himself. That he lives with us and he lives in us in the present age and he protects us from evil and provides for our needs. That we have been given life, which as Jesus prayed it, is knowing the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Did you know that's what life is? Then you agree with Jesus' prayer, John 17, 3. That's life. Is God worthy of your praise? Is he worthy of your prayers? That the nations would come to know him and enjoy him and glorify him forever and worship him? This is what the peoples of the world are meant to do, to worship the one who made them. If missions is the call of God to a needy world, to beckon them to enter into the joy of his praise through the reconciling work of his Son, if that is what Christian missions is, and that is precisely what Christian missions is, then to separate missions activity from divine worship does not work. It's to remove it from its center, from the heart of it all, which is God's desire that the peoples of the world give praise to Him. That is what God wants. Now, here's a question. 
Is that what you want? Do you want God to be worshipped? Do you want God to have a bigger family? Do you believe that He is worthy of more praise coming from more worshipers? These are good questions, aren't they? We all should check our hearts to see if our desires align with His. Yeah? I think you all know that there are many people who have not yet heard the good news. I don't know how this is calculated, but if the Joshua Project is right, there remain 7,000 people groups who have not yet been reached with the gospel. 10,000 have, 7,000 have not. Let all the peoples praise you. That would include the 7,000. And as we pray for the 7,000, along with the others who presently do have the blessing of a gospel witness among them, let's pray in faith. My only exposure to an unreached people group was when I lived in Uganda as your missionary, along with my wife, Lori, and our kids. It's an amazing place to live for 11 years. We loved our lives there. But uh, I'll tell you that there was a group of people named the Ik. That's right. Ik, I-K. That was about 10,000 people sort of nestled into an area that was not Ikish. They were Karamajong people, but there they were. 10,000 people with their own language, their own uh, culture, their own history, their own migration story, I suppose, the Ik officially became a reached people group around 12 years ago when missionaries we knew went into that place to um, work with their language and translate the word of God in a way that would be accessible to them. At least a gospel testimony got to them at that time. What about the others? It's hard for us to imagine populations in this world at this time who have not heard the good news in their own language. There are thousands of nations. Let them praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's a big word. Make the nations the subject of your prayers to God. Now, the headline, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. God wants the world to rejoice in Him. He wants them to know Him, to be happy that they know Him, and to offer singing praise to the God who gives them joy. This is a really happy psalm, isn't it? But I thought Christians were dour and serious, someone might say. I thought that worship services are orderly and predictable and boring, you know, filled with rote liturgical responses that just need to be said, not necessarily understood or loved. I don't see a lot of smiling in a Christian worship service. Do you ever wonder if the nations that look at the church 
think things like that. Yes. Order is good. Liturgy is good if used well as it is here. But shame on any Christian who enters the place of praise with anything less than deep joy. Real, gospel-produced joy in the Holy Spirit. Pleasure at the thought of all that God has done through the work of His Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. If C.S. Lewis is right that joy is the serious business of heaven, then surely joy is the serious business of life with Jesus on earth, especially when the church comes together to praise his name. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. You know those words? Psalm 33 and the first verse, verse 1. It befits joy and praise. They, they go together. It is fitting for them to be together in the hearts of God's people and in their practice of Christian worship. Can we really long for the nations to be glad if we are not so glad ourselves? It is the duty of nations to be glad in God. Amen. But why? Why should the nations be glad? How can the nations be glad? The nations will be glad when the God of creation becomes the God of their salvation. Amen. A friend of mine, he goes by the name of Anis, Anis Zaka. He is an Egyptian brother and he's a, a church elder and has deep passion that the nations would come to Christ, particularly Muslim nations. Maybe the pastor knows him. I was with him for a few years ago, and I watched him interact with his Muslim friends. I learned a lot just by watching him do this. He approached one of them, and he said something that I will never forget. And I hope you don't forget it when you hear it just now. He gave his friend a big hug, and he said in the most tender, loving way, you are my brother in creation. I am praying that you become my brother in redemption. The friend did not seem to be offended by those words. I suspect he heard them before. (laughs) That's what I think. But I love what Anise said. The world is filled with nation brothers and nation sisters in creation. We should not be slow to say it. Psalm 67 is calling that same creation family to join the family of redemption. The family who can and must enter into the worship of the living true God of heaven through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. There are times when it is hard to read the news. I'm sure you agree with that. In digital form or in print. The headlines are rough. The news around the nation as well as around the globe is often not very good. But imagine reading the headlines in other nations where the gospel is more vigorously suppressed 
and Christians are more directly feeling the pains of persecution. Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea. These are the six most dangerous countries for Christians, according to Open Doors World Watch list. Is God calling those nations to be glad in Him? Yes. Are they among the peoples contemplating, contemplated in Psalm 67.3? Yes. Let all the peoples praise you. All of them. And so our hearts long and we pray joy to the world. And we do so with the words of Adoniram Judson before us. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Amen. Now let me give you that bonus thought tucked into verse 2. I call this the mission of the church and I think you'll, you'll see why I say that. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let me give you a quick paraphrase. God bless us so that others will know you. That's the concept. Here's another way to put it. The mission of the church, if we can extract it from this psalm, it has three components. One, it is a prayer for God's blessing. We ought to be praying. Two, it's a commitment to God's worship. And then three, and this is what interests me, and I hope you're interested too. It's a call to the nations to see God's blessings as delivered to God's people and to join in the worship of his name. Our mission then is to make sure they know. God wants to bless you so that others will see it, they will want it, and they will come to know and praise the God who gives the blessing. It's there in verse 2. I'm going to read this again to you. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that, there's the word, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Do you see it? If you want God's way to be known, then you will want to receive God's favor and all the benefits that come with faith. You will want to be blessed You will want to be seen as those who are blessed, and you will want others to come into the realm of blessing through faith in your Savior. May God bless us that your name may be known. One purpose of God's grace to you is to make you an instrument through which God delivers grace to the nations. What a holy privilege you have. Amen. There was a time in my early Christian life when I wrestled with the question of the church's mission and wondered if evangelism or worship should take priority in the church. And I have come to see that this is a false choice. Evangelism is inviting the nations to worship God. The nations around the globe, and the nations in our neighborhoods. 
It is a call to personal faith. That's true. But faith is always practiced in a context. Congregational life and congregational praise. The haven is a worshiping testimony of the grace of God that invites the world to come and join the testimony. Join the worshiping testimony. Let's never think that evangelism is one thing and worship is something that can come along later. It's just not in the Bible. God redeems people with a view toward receiving praise from them. Mm -hmm. John Piper famously put it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't. (laughs) Maybe some of you have read his book on missions. He wrote it under the headline of Psalm 67.4, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a good read. I have a memory of a church visit during one of my furloughs years ago. It was 2008, September. And uh, a certain older minister was present when I gave my report, and he heard the message that I preached at the time. He was in his 90s, so he'd seen some things. And he approached me after the service, and he said this. He said, Al, I'm just picturing you speaking to your, your, your Ugandan friends and saying, I have good news for you. Amen. He thanked me, and then he went on his way. We have good news for the world. I have had the privilege of sharing it, and so have you. Let's share it together. Let's pray together. For a global harvest of worshipers, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Amen. Joy to the world. Amen. Amen. Let's seek him together. <clears throat> Lord, we do thank you for this psalm. We confess that our hearts are filled with doubt and fear as we think of the task of proclaiming Christ to the nations. And so we pray that you would forgive us and also that you would empower us. We want to be faithful witnesses. We want to be regular with our prayers for the world. We want to support the cause by sending and supporting our brothers and sisters who serve you overseas and in our own land. Bless us, Lord, and bless the nations through what you are doing in the church, your family, the very ones who live and worship you in this world. Hear us, we pray, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.